0: From a house that dripped blood to a house that's much better made. Because this came after that compendium movie, and although it's a compendium movie very like it, there is very little comparison. Tonight, 1972's amicus film, Asylum. Yes, this movie just looks better. It looks more impressive. It looks more expensive. And the the four stories are better written. There's more about them. Plus, the plot that surrounds those stories is much better integrated. And there's some interest to it. In the house that dripped blood, we just had a house that might be an in inverted commas, evil. There's more to this. From the moment that Dr. Martin, played by Robert Powell, arrives at the asylum for a job interview to the strains of Night on Bear Mountain, we know we're in for something dramatic and something special. And actually, Mussorgsky's music is used quite a lot in this movie, and that's really interesting to see. It's not just that they have some modern 70s music or a little bit of uh, underscoring. Um, It's Night on Bold Mountain, isn't it? Of course it is. And you've also got quite a lot of pictures at an exhibition used throughout this movie, and it just does add some gravitas to it. So the basic story is that Dr. Martin is here for a job interview and he uh, he is here to see the um, the head of the asylum, Dr. Rutherford played by Patrick McGee um, in a kind of oddly delivered term which Patrick McGee does so well he reigns it in here and he says that he like to have a a, a bit of an odd interview, what he'd like to do, he'd like to introduce him to some of the um, the people undergoing treatment at the asylum and he would like to ask him which of them he believes is Dr. Starr because he was a former head of the asylum who underwent a complete mental breakdown and he says if you can tell me which of those it is, and you're right then the job is yours. Robert Powell doesn't say, would there be a presentation at all? Do you want me to to do a PowerPoint? He doesn't say that, he just says, yeah, okay, I'll do that. He does feel it's all a bit odd. Everything's a bit dark. This is a nice gothic building we're in. And he goes to see the orderly, Max Norman, who is played by Jeffrey Beildon. You know, Jeffrey Belden did an awful lot of work, for quite a bit of work for Amicus. Um, We'll know him very well as Cat Weasel. Great actor. Lovely, big playing, but always kept grounded. Very nicely done. And he's very amicable here. Very nicely done. So he takes us through the four rooms with the four tails. And these tails are better generally than we have seen certainly in The House That Dripped Blood, which I'll compare because we have compendium movies, but those compendium movies like Tales from the Crypt and From Beyond the Grave um, are a little different because you have four people coming together. This and uh, The House That Dripped Blood are compendium movies of a different type. So the first story we have is Frozen Fear. And it's about a dysfunctional couple played by Richard Todd. So, you know, Richard Todd, fading star at the time, in 71, but still pretty big. You know, you have to have big money to bring that person in, shows your intention. Nice big star. Sylvia Sims is his wife, someone who also got a lot of work. And he is having an affair, and they have decided the only way to continue the affair would be to do away with his wife. So he's bought her something she's always wanted, and this really sets things in the early 70s. It's a chest freezer, which is in the basement. Marvellous, she says. Just what I've always wanted. She seems a sort of, um, quite rich and quite modern and forward-thinking woman. She's studying some kind of mystic arts, which she calls voodoo. Wears a charm bracelet. Um, but she loves the chest freezer, surprisingly. He has another gift for her. She turns around. It's an axe. So he has to dispatch her. And he de- the way he decides to do this. Is to cut her into small pieces. Wrap her in brown paper. And lay her in the chest freezer. Calls his girlfriend and says. She's in the freezer. We can now go on holiday. No, 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 no. His lover says. You really need. To bring, him, to bring her with us. In the car. And then we can dispatch her on the way to our holiday ab voodoo is a foot and you know that those body parts will become animated and this actually could be appalling because you've got bits of arms bits of legs and a head also a torso in brown paper moving around a basement but it doesn't look appalling Okay, the legs sliding across the floor doesn't look good at all. But the head, which has a little gizmo in it to make it look like it's breathing, is really well done. The brown paper sucking in and out, really lovely stuff. And finally they dispatch Richard Todd and he ends up, Walter ends up in the chest freezer. Of course his girlfriend comes round she goes out to the basement looking for him and the hand has now broken, or the arm has broken through the paper and the hand grabs her. She tries to fight it, but she can't and the police arrive. It's a nice, simple story. There's a lovely chestnut rinse on uh, Richard Todd's hair, lovely to see. He has a really bad line, which he delivers beautifully, actually. Rest in pieces. But he does that because he's all in. And everybody actually is all in. It's a simple story. It could be as simple and throwaway as the Joan Collins Christmas story. In Tales from the Crypt. But it isn't. Because everybody is doing what they need to do. It's well paced. And although we know what's going to happen, there are some nice little moments which really interest and excite. So there's your little sorbet. But we're moving on to one of the better of the four stories here. And this is mainly because of two central performances. When I mention the names, you'll know. You'll know how good this can be. Barry Morse and Peter Cushing. Yes, this is the weird tailor. And if you can get through Barry Morse's rather cod, Jewish tailor's um, performance, what he doesn't do is he doesn't just do an accent for you. His performance as um, Bruno, the tailor who's worked all his life and business is bad and they are behind with the rent and he might get thrown out beautiful it's a it's a real kind of It's full of humanity and full of nakedness he can't hide his emotions he's an honest honest man and because he imbues it with such wonderful emotion the accent is not such an issue of course a savior appears in the form of Peter Cushing who says I want to you to make me a suit, which is music to Bruno's ears. And I want you to make me a suit out of a specific fabric, which he's brought, which is strangely glowing. And I only want you to make this suit at these times of the day. And I've got the measurements on the times of the day. So, starting at the witching hour, moving on till daybreak. But I'll pay you £200. Of course, Bruno's eyes light up. This is 17, 1972 we're talking about. This is Richard's. He does make the suit, goes to see Peter, and of course Peter is in his most charming he has a, a, a lovely sense of being charming and looking like he is in control and having money but with a slightly sinister air. He did this as Baron Frankenstein as well, you know, you know that you know that there's something behind, there is something driven. He will not accept any obstacles. And because he has that patrician voice and the way he carries himself, people generally took the forelock first and asked questions later. So, of course, Bruno goes round to his house, asks for the payment, and Cushing says, I have no money. I'm in the same situation as you. I've spent it all on this book, which is a book of incantations. They struggle, and Cushing is shot. He pulls a gun on Bruno, But the gun goes off and kills him. So Bruno doesn't sell the suit. But when he gets back to his shop, the suit will become a very big issue because what Peter Cushing is doing is trying to bring, by incantation and certain material, his son back to life, and he does, and this could look awful because we do see in close up the face of the son, and he's wearing some kind of sticky mask, but it's really odd and it really works well. This is a beautiful story, I mean beautifully played, it's a horrible story, it's well written and this is all based around um, a book, of course, that Robert Bloch wrote. He wrote uh, the script for this based on his own short stories. You know, this is the writer of Asylum, and uh, of Psycho, and you know he knows what he's doing and is doing very well here. The idea of bringing the son back to life is something that's been used quite a few times, but the idea of a tailor working with a strangely um, translucent and shimmering material, white material. It links back to The Man in the White Suit with Alec Guinness, but it's got a horrible basis to it. And it's, it's really well done. And those two actors play so well with each other. The high status and low status is so well observed that this is a really good fun story so moving on to the third one and you again have someone here who is a big star because Britt eckland is in this she plays lucy who is the friend of charlotte rampling's barbara who's come from a psychiatric hospital her husband james villiers um sorry, her brother, should I say, James Villiers, brings her home. He's not in it much, it's a shame, and he's a bit miscast as this, really. He needs a more uh, florid role to really excel, I believe, and I really like his work, particularly in Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, which I hope to review in the future. And they're looking after her, Megs Jenkins, is Mrs Higgins, the, um, the housemaid, Nanny, But Charlotte Rampling, Barbara, who wanders through the performance as if drugged, and that seems to be quite right for the performance, but that's something that I feel Charlotte Rampling did quite a lot, I'm afraid, in my view. She's delighted to see Lucy there because Lucy is puckish. She doesn't work well with authority. And she wants to get her out of there because she feels she's being held at the house. She needs to get back to society. And so she advocates her leaving them, cut them uh, cutting the wires of the telephone, taking scissors and doing so. She sees Barbara taking pills and says, you mustn't take those. They get into an argument and she goes. Barbara says, where's she gone? Goes to the door. makes Jenkins is there. Where, where's Lucy? There's there's nobody here. Oh, Lucy must still be here then. Goes into the into the living room. Her brother has been stabbed with the very scissors. Megs goes to make a phone call. Phone wires are cut. Goes upstairs and is dispatched by Barbara. Or is it Lucy? Because Lucy's there on film. But as Barbara tells the good doctor It was my prints that were on the scissors. How can that be? Lucy's here now. Turns back to the mirror, and there's Lucy. It's really simply done. It's not the best of the four. Brit Eklund's given quite a lot to do, and does okay with it, but nothing special. As you might expect, seeing other movies she's done. It is a simple story around schizophrenia We never go into that. We're just shown how that might work And because it's lightly done and it's got a light touch. It works nicely But what's to come is a slight wrinkle because the last story mannequins of horror You don't really see what happens You just see the person in the room Who is another doctor? He's Dr. Byron. He was a paediatrician. He's an orthopaedic surgeon. And he's played by yet another heavyweight, Herbert Lom. And you know you are in safe hands when you see Herbert Lom, who says, I was a doctor, but I have other interests now. He opens a cupboard, and there are little um, figures made in a very blocky way and made not to look fantastic but he says you may think these are just figures that I make but these eyes are made to see and inside there are organs of course Dr. Martin thinks well that's I think I know what's happening here walks away and Herbalum says you walk away but the gentleman who is currently running this facility he didn't believe me either but he will believe So we don't get to see his story, but he's wrapped up and the film wraps up in the story around it. Because Dr. Byron has one of the little models that he has fashioned to look as himself. And he sends it out whilst Dr. Martin is talking about whether he wants the job because he says, I really don't like this facility. He tells Dr. Rutherford, the way you run this is awful. As they're talking, the little model is walking down the corridor, getting in the dumb waiter to come up to the office. Dr. Rutherford's saying, You, you you'd still take the job if I offered if I offered it to you, you might do some good here. Which one do you think is Dr. Starr? And as they're talking, he suddenly slumps forward and there is a knife in his back it's the model and Dr Martin can't believe it takes the model and stamps it under his foot Herbert Lom, Dr Byram screams and in the model is a little beating heart it looks great, it's really well done they don't do a close up of it, they don't need to it's just there he then goes to see the orderly Max, Jeffrey Belden, and says I need to bring the police, this has happened, I need to get, come into, don't go, I need to go into your office and make a phone call, don't go into my office, there's a dead body in there, who is it? It's Max. Oh yes, says Jeffrey. He died a few days ago and I haven't been able to dispose of the body. So you might guess who Dr. Starr is. And this part of the film ends with a strangulation by stethoscope, which is a lovely thing to see, and Geoffrey Baildon laughing in a very, very unsettling way. Quite frightening, really. Of course, at the end of the movie, they show the next person coming for the next. Um, interview. And who meets him at the door? Geoffrey Bale. It seems really simple, but there's a lot more to the surrounding story than there was with The House That Dripped Blood. That seemed really clunky. This seems as though there is something within that. It's not just there to top and tail the movie and to keep it driving along. There's actually something to be interested about in that movie. Plus, you know it's directed with real verve and real push by Roy Ward Baker, and you know he's done so many of uh, uh, movies for uh, and lots of movies for Amicus as well. You know, so he, so you know that he can do this. He did the Vampire Lovers, Scars of Dracula, Vault of Horror. He did, and now the Screaming Starts as well. We'll forget that one, but you know he can deliver, and he does. I think he was involved with The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires as well. Another movie that I really love from Hammer and Amicus. It's Hammer, that one. So you know that he is going to deliver in a very racy, pushy way. But the whole thing, the set dressing looks sumptuous. The way it's um, directed, it's given lots of time. You're not. They don't push the pace to add scares. They know the material's good and all they want to do is to show it to you. It's given time to breathe. And the, 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 the colours are sumptuous and there's quite a lot of the use of shading and darkness, particularly in the asylum, which is a lovely Gothic type building. It was very popular when it came out. It made money too when it came out. And quite right too. It's one of Amicus's most popular movies in the UK at the box office. And that's because it's of a superior quality. And it just shows you what they could do. They were on a big, quick slate of movies. But just occasionally, things came together and it looks like they put extra money into it But it just makes it look much, much better. It's a real movie that people, children who grew up in the 70s, still love. Because it's the kind of movie that when you were a bit younger, your parents might have allowed you to see. And it still holds up now. It's got great performances in it. No one goes for it too much. Nothing is. There are no signifiers, there are no winks to camera. This just shows you what happens. They don't get embedded down or embroiled in the psychological nature of this. They just show what had happened to people. And you've got those great actors like Barry Morse, Peter Cushing, Herbert Lom, Geoffrey Bailden. Powell is rather a cipher in this, but Geoffrey Bailden, great work. And sadly overlooked. So it's a four and a half out of five. And it's so much better than the house that dripped blood. This is the house that delivered asylum. Ta-ta.